2: Celebrating 25 years of Mohegan Sun, we talk with two top executives and hear their stories. Plus, new research from Eastern Connecticut State University on how storms, not sea level, is driving shoreline change. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott Smith. Its iconic glass buildings have become part of the eastern Connecticut landscape for the last 25 years. And for many, it seems like only yesterday that the Mohegan Sun Casino and Resort opened its doors to the public for the first time. Since then, hundreds of thousands of people have played the slot machines, eaten at restaurants, seen a show, or just stayed at the resort to enjoy the tranquil surroundings. And it's not just people who come and stay at Mohegan Sun, so do many of its employees. I caught up with two top Mohegan Sun executives recently to get their thoughts and reflections on this 25th anniversary year. Joining us on Connecticut East this week is Jeff Hamilton, the President and General Manager of Mohegan Sun, and Kim Noto, Vice President of Marketing and Chief Marketing Officer also of Mohegan Sun. To you both, thank you for joining us. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having us.
2: So very exciting time for Mohegan Sun. I suppose one could say actually every day is exciting for for both of you. But 25 years Mohegan Sun celebrates on October the 12th. Just tell us a little bit about what that means for the organization, Jeff.
3: I think, you know, for us to to think about the impact we've had over the course of the last 25 years and just the success that we've been able to achieve. I think when you have big birthdays and you think back to, you know, some of the things that you've been through, both good and bad, and and you think about how you've or where you've ended or where you've come to, it's just really an exciting time to think about how we really have transformed our property into a destination and really have transformed, you know, the area uh, of Connecticut, Southeastern Connecticut into a place that hosts, you know, humongous shows, has great entertainment, Miss America, Bear Jackson. You know, I'm from Southeastern Connecticut, and if you would have told me, you know, when I was when I was a kid that we would have, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen playing in Uncasville, Connecticut, I would say, you know, you're crazy. So I just think back to, to the success of the tribe and, and the property and just what we've become. It's just a, a tremendous, tremendous feeling.
2: You yourself have been with Mohegan Sun for 17 years. You've risen through the ranks. It's obviously a special place.
3: Yeah, and it's definitely a special place to work. And I think that's what makes us, you know, so good is is that, it's a place that's relaxed, that really cares about its team members. It's like a big family. So, you know, we're a very large business, but we operate like a small business. And there's so much longevity here where, you know, you have team members, you know, we still have over 400 team members that are day one team members. We have two of our top executives that are day one team members that have both started out in entry-level positions. I, I think, you know, people usually don't leave here because it's a great place. It's a great place to work. And while we've had our ups and downs, I think we've always stayed true to our core values and our culture. And that has allowed us to navigate through difficult times and come out, you know, even more successful.
2: And Kim, I want to turn to you. Uh, You have a, a very important role, obviously, along with Jeff as part of corporate management, vice president of marketing and chief marketing officer. I mean, that's a big job as well, isn't it?
1: It is. And it's been very exciting. So I'm a 14 year employee here and I've learned a lot in my 14 years, but I've probably learned the most in my last four or five and, you know, every day is new and every day is exciting and nothing's more exciting than celebrating our 25th.
2: Can I take you back to 2007, you know, when you actually joined Mohegan Sun? What, can you remember what, what got you there?
1: So many things. I think just the excitement of a new challenge. Um, I had recently graduated and I was looking to enter the workforce and this place just felt like a home. You know, from my first interview to my first day, everybody was so welcoming. And I knew I had a lot to learn and I knew I had a lot to contribute. And I'm very, very happy with the relationships I've made here. And I'm very proud of being part of this organization.
2: And Jeff, what about you? Let's take you back to 2004, which is when you joined Mohegan oh. Sun. I mean, you've held several important key management positions. Just talk us through how you got to Mohegan Sun.
3: Yes, yeah, so I was lucky enough when I was in, in college that I worked in, you know, we had a restaurant, used to have a restaurant called Chiefs Deli. I worked here you know for a few summers you know in, in the early 2000s before I started the tenure that I have in 2004. So I was already pretty aware of the organization. You know, I often tell people that I just got lucky. My undergrad is in social work, and I realized later in my college career that that's something that I probably wasn't going to be able to do for the rest of my life just due to the stress level. I always tell people, if you know a social worker, give them a big hug. And really just got lucky in a, in a human resources position here, you know, through the relationships I had built, you know, during those summers and fell in love with, you know, working with people for the betterment of business. And I would say throughout all of my positions, both in human resources and marketing, And then executive leadership, I think that's always been my focus is understanding that the people really make the Mohegan Sun, you know, what it is and never losing, you know, never losing the focus, whether it's our customers or our team members. It's really about people and delivering great service, creating special memories that invoke emotion, right? And that are special. So, you know, I really have enjoyed being able to work with people in this type of environment. Mahegan
2: Sun, of course, is the, the younger of the two casinos here in Connecticut. Of course, Foxwoods will celebrate 30 years in 2022. Do you think that being the slightly younger of, of the two casinos gives you an advantage because you were able, you know, the organization was able to look at what Foxwoods did and, and then like decide, well, you know, we're going to do things a little different?
3: Yeah, I think there is a benefit to being second in this this case, where you can kind of see how the market was developing early on. And then I think from a facility standpoint, kind of understand, you know, what guests we're looking looking for, I would say that I think we have worked independently. I think the one thing that in both casinos, type, I think the one thing that we've always been focused on is, you know, we're going to do what we think is correct for our business. We're not going to follow or adjust based upon, you know, what anyone else is doing. So I think very early on, Tribe and the, you know, the original executive team put together four core values and those four core values, you know, help us to make decisions still are, are a factor in every decision we make today. So while we were second, I think we quickly you know, became the leader for the, our organization where we are going to operate our business in the way that we believe is the, the best way, regardless of what other people or other uh, casinos are doing around us. And I think, again, that's led to, to us being even more successful is that we've tried new things. We haven't altered our strategy. And we continue to focus on, you know, every single day, every single year getting better, you know, continuously striving for perfection, being better today than we were yesterday.
2: When, of course, you look at Mohegan Sun, the the actual structure itself, the beautiful glass buildings which form part of the overall campus, it's striking that they are 25 years old because it doesn't look old at all. I mean, it seems it's very timeless
3: I would say, you know, one thing that, again, is one of our one of our key values is we treat this as like as if it's our home. So, you know, we're very big on cleanliness and maintenance. You know, we're very proud of our engineering team and our EVS team, you know, to make sure that it looks like new. So if something's broken, we fix it. We never alter from that. And we like to make sure that our property is always, you know, the cleanest it can it, it can possibly be. We live with the strategy that it's everyone's job to clean. So we have a few hundred EVS team members that their total focus is cleaning the property, but from a team perspective, you know, we live, you know, with the everyone, it's everyone's job to clean. So if we see a paper or a spill, you know, whether you're, you know, Kim Noto or Jeff Hamilton or you're a table games dealer, we all recognize that, you know, this is our house and we need to clean that up. And it's the same with facility maintenance. So our maintenance team is constantly walking around looking for things that are broken or need to be repaired. And it's the same with every team member so you know if a team member notices that something broken or a light bulb is out or a sign is down or you know something is cracked you know we're alerting our engineering team and then they understand the importance of you know getting that repaired as quickly as possible and i think that's allowed us you know to make sure that our 25 year old property still looks like it just opened yesterday
2: and kim turning back to you so many people and jeff alluded to this earlier in the interview so many famous people celebrities have come through the doors of mohegan sun continue to come through the doors of mohegan sun how do you keep up with all of it
1: i think like jeff said we treat them like family as well right we want them to enjoy their time here we want them to look forward to visiting us and we want them to come back so we you know we take them on a tour we give them the site We just really want them to feel comfortable here and we've built such a beautiful property that we can accommodate them. We have a beautiful sky tower hotel, and we have an amazing arena that they love to perform in. And they tell us time and time again, the reason they come back is the people that we have and the service we provide.
2: Let's turn to some of the, the big things which have been happening recently as well. One, of course, is Miss America coming back to Mohegan Sun. Hopefully it's going to be there for a substantial amount of time. What did that mean, Kim, to the organization?
1: We're so thrilled to partner with Miss America and the organization. We just really believe in their message, and we feel that we are an excellent partner to share that message with the community. These women are very accomplished and very inspirational, and that's something we are happy to align our brand with.
2: And Jeff, sports betting, of course, fairly recently, in fact, the beginning of October, sort of sports betting came legal, as it were, here in Connecticut. Yourself and obviously the other casino have opened up sports books. Again, what does that mean to the casino to be able to bring that to its customers?
3: It just adds to the the destination that we're trying to to create. So I think when you think about sports betting, I think, you know, the the growth of sports betting in the country as a whole has been significant over the last, you know, 5 years. In the north northeast not so much. So, New York not doesn't have sports betting. Massachusetts doesn't have sports betting. Uh yet Rhode Island does. But, you know, I think, you know, similar to what we've done with our arenas and our properties, and you know, I think both casinos are going to create a destination for watching and betting on sports. So we're really excited to be able to offer you know this amenity and this new business to our customers. And really what we've seen in other jurisdictions is that sports betting is going to drive additional revenue, but it also increases you know your slot revenue and your table games revenue because people that play table games and slots also like to watch and bet on sports. So there's definitely a synergy between the other aspects of our gaming business and, and sports betting. So I know we're 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 in the midst of building, you know, an 11,000 square foot sports book with our 170 foot TV as the centerpiece of that. And really, you know, when it opens a destination for, for watching sports, I would say, you know, probably one of the best places to watch sports in the whole country.
2: And another thing I want to pick up on, and again, we would be remiss if we didn't mention this, because I think you must be the only casino, certainly that I'm aware of, that owns its own WNBA team, the Connecticut Sun.
3: Our Connecticut Sun, they're the number one seed in the WNBA playoffs this year. They're in The semifinals right now tied one to one. It was pretty exciting, you know, to be able to launch sports betting on the night that we had a semifinal game and, you know, giving, you know, our fans the ability to walk down to the temporary sports book at Bow and Arrow, place a wager on the Connecticut Sun and then go watch them win and cover from a point spread perspective. So I know a lot of our fans not only were excited that the Connecticut Sun won, but we're also excited that their pockets got a little fatter if they if they played some money on them.
2: The world is constantly changing. We'll always want to visit, you know, amazing places like Mohegan Sun, you know, just for that touchy feely sort of experience. But, you know, when it comes to gambling, etc., you know, we're seeing more online things happening. So how do you keep pace with that?
3: I think for us, I think making everything experiential, right? So I think that's been our focus over the course of our last 25 years. We really have honed in on that over the course of the last few years. I think you look at that from our S&B perspective with, you know, opening a towel that really is an experiential restaurant. You know, we added to our Sky Tower luxury element to that, that really is something that our, our, our guests really love. And, you know, people are being driven just to, to experience that from an experiential standpoint. And then I think with sports betting, I think we're going to create an experiential sports betting slash watching experience. And we're not stopping there. We have, you know, multiple projects that we're working on currently to, you know, add more experiential food and beverage. And then I think as we think about the next, you know, 10 or 15 years, you know, the Preston development is something that the tribe is really focused on. You can see, you know, additional non-gaming amenities coming to the property. So while we've had a great 25 years, I think, you know, I, I really do look forward to the next 25 years and you know, where we're going to be 25 years from now, what this property will look like.
2: And Kim, you know, in a a world where we're so obsessed at looking at our phones and, as I say, doing things, you know, remotely and, and online, you know, what sort of challenges does that pose for you, you know, from a marketing point of view, as I say, to try and keep people engaged with Mohegan Sun, as Jeff was saying, either by coming to physically visit or in other ways?
1: It definitely has been a challenge, more so over the past year, as we all get more used to Zoom meetings and working from home and staying on our couches and still being able to access everything. But I think, like Jeff said, it's the experience you get here that you can't get anywhere else. And it's an experience that's available to everyone. You know, you can be interested in gaming, you could be interested in music, you could be interested in restaurants and shopping. And we have a little bit of everything, and we hope that people take the journey to visit us and experience it and continue to come
2: back. Well, Jeff Hamilton, President and General Manager of Mohegan Sun and Kim Noto, Vice President of Marketing and Chief Marketing Officer of Mohegan Sun. Thank you again for joining us on Connecticut East and happy 25th birthday to all of you at Mohegan Sun. Thank you.
1: October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Increased awareness and early detection through regular screening have put breast cancer deaths on the decline. Research shows that screening with mammography can detect breast cancer early when it is most treatable. Women over 40 should schedule a mammogram today. Women of any age who are at high risk should talk to their doctors about when to start screening. For information about mammography, breast cancer disease, screening, and treatment, visit radiologyinfo.org. Climate
2: change is a topic that never seems to be out of the news and with more regular and intense storms and hurricanes battering our shoreline, for those living there, loss or damage to property is becoming also more frequent. And according to new research, it's storms and not sea level that is driving shoreline change. I spoke to the author of the research, coastal geologist Brian Oakley, a professor in the Environmental Earth Science Department at Eastern Connecticut State University. Brian, thanks for joining us.
0: No problem, Brian.
2: So you've got some new research out that basically says storms, not sea level, drive shoreline change. Explain to us a little bit more about that.
0: So what we did was look at Napa Tree Point as an example of how coastal barriers behave responding to storms. Uh, Napa Tree is located in southwest Rhode Island, kind of right across from Stonington. And it's a great example to look at because it's almost completely undeveloped following the 1938 hurricane. So we don't have a lot of of human impact to look at how that would have modified the shoreline. And the findings show that between 1938 and the 1970s, which was a period of several notable storms, especially the 1938 hurricane, but then additional hurricanes in 1944, 1954, and and a big March nor'easter in 1962, really drove most of the shoreline change that we've observed at that site over the last 75 years. So the takeaway for us on that was that storms are incredibly important in terms of moving the sediment and altering the shoreline. It's not discounting sea level rise, but in terms of the coastal processes during storms, it it just dwarfs the sea level rise we've seen over that same time period.
2: Without appearing rude, people are going to say, okay, 75 years that you're talking about here. So why should we care?
0: We should care for a couple of reasons. One, the potential exists in coming decades to see more frequent and more intense storms. So periods of shoreline change like that period between 1938 and and the 1960s could happen again, and could be exacerbated as water levels continue to rise. It's really not up for debate that sea levels rising, we can measure that And that does have impacts on the shoreline. The other reason we should care is that most coastal communities look at historic shoreline change to think about how close to build to the shoreline. And if you looked at that over the entire period, from 1938 till 2021, you'd see a certain amount of historic shoreline change. But one of the takeaways from this work would be that that change spread out over 75 years shows a certain amount of of migration of the shoreline. But in fact, most of the actual erosion and and change in shoreline position happened in a relatively short period of time. So when you look at that whole 75 years, you're really spreading the risk out more and underestimating what the actual magnitude of, of some of these changes are.
2: So what does that mean for so like properties? I mean, we've got a lot of shoreline property here in Connecticut and, and obviously in any other sort of states which have shorelines. So what does that mean for people who've got property on the shoreline then?
0: Well, I think in big picture, the timing of the storms shows that even though we had Superstorm Sandy in 2012, which was obviously devastating for parts of our shoreline, we're still relatively inexperienced when it comes to big storms. Right, storms of the 1938 scale. And following a storm like that, the shorelines remain incredibly vulnerable while they're basically recovering through natural processes. So if you have an, a significant storm event, even if you survived the storm and your house and property are intact, you're at more risk in the near future if you were to get a second storm within a fairly short period of time.
2: Does your research sort of like suggests that we need to do much more when it comes to coastal management and perhaps building artificial barriers to help sort of beef up, you know, the natural barriers, which are there.
0: Actually what it shows is it's kind of the opposite of that. Napa tree is undeveloped. And if you went there today, you'd see it's got a robust dune system, you know, a lot of different habitats within the coastal system there. It's just in a different position. It was in 1938 but because it's been allowed to recover naturally, it's actually been resilient in its own way without us having to do a whole lot about it. I'm always leery of these engineering projects because as we've seen time and time again, they fail. And while they can work in certain storms and protect in certain instances, ultimately the natural system does a lot better than our human systems.
2: You say, obviously, it's naturally to sort of like looked after itself. But as we were talking about, you know, people have got property on the shoreline and we're talking about, you know, potential erosion and over time, potential damage to their properties, I assume, from this sort of like slow creepings sort or of like invasion as it were. So surely they need to be looking at doing something, though.
0: They need to be looking at doing what they're what they're allowed to do within regulations that also aren't going to have negative impacts on their shoreline and on adjacent properties one of the challenges and one of the balances is protecting properties, but also protecting the adjacent areas. And when you start armoring shorelines, you generally have negative consequences both in front of the property, but also on adjacent shorelines. You know, if you armor one with a seawall, the property next door might end up having some problems down the road.
2: So is there any sort of like other sort of data in your research that can help sort of, you know, municipalities who have a lot of shoreline as part of, you know, the the land that they look after then?
0: Yeah, the other part we do is a lot of field observations and following Sandy, I, I was not out there surveying after the 38 hurricane, but after Sandy up through the present, it also allows us to look at how fast these systems can recover and to allow these managers to plan appropriately not necessarily overreact to, uh, I need to come in and dump a bunch of sand, or I need to come in and build a seawall. If you understand how long it takes these systems to respond, which is on the order of years to get the dune systems back, it allows you to plan accordingly when the next storm happens.
2: We are seeing, obviously, more storms happening. I mean, we've had them fairly recently. We had Tropical Storm Henri, but also we do seem to be getting more intense storms. I mean, you know, forecasters talk about these storms being a once in a 100 or 200 years of like occurrence, but the reality is they seem to be occurring with a lot more frequency. So surely we're going to be seeing a lot more damage to our shorelines.
0: It's quite possible. And if that is true and the, the science and particularly it's complicated with hurricanes because warmer oceans certainly have potential to fuel more powerful storms. But it also complicates things like wind shear that actually destroy hurricanes as they're forming. So the science seems to suggest that, yes, we will see more frequent and more intense storms as we go through the coming decades. And, yeah, if we get into a period where we see more frequent storms, it obviously has the potential to cause more significant shoreline change than just one storm followed by a long period of of no storms.
2: Do you also think that it sort of suggests that maybe we need to be stepping back from the shoreline a bit? I mean, it's nice to have sort of like oceanfront property, but clearly, you know, climate change is a real factor. It is continuing and whether or not we ever get a grasp on that, we'll have to see. But I mean, do you think that sort of suggests that maybe properties need to be stepped back from the shoreline in the future then?
0: In my experience, retreat has always been treated as a bit of a four letter word in coastal communities. It's a very hard sell to get people to step back from the shoreline. So I think if you're thinking along those lines, and I'm not a coastal policy analyst, so I I won't speculate on the legal aspects of this. It's probably more likely to happen as properties become unbuildable or unrepairable after storm events, rather than to go take them out now. Although other countries around the world have started to look at at that aspect of trying to limit rebuilding um, and even taking down some structures in at-risk areas. I think it's going to be prudent to start to think like that, in the coming decades, particularly densely developed areas that are low-lying, not so much just because of storms, but because sea level rise will start to cause problems for infrastructure, for roads, for sewers, for water resources, as well as the properties themselves, which will make some coastal areas challenging to live on in coming decades.
2: Your research from what you've gathered so far, I mean, are you able to do any predictions at all based on on what it is that you've observed to maybe give as the same municipalities also like, or to give advice or assistance to coastal management as to where potential hotspots might even be going forward.
0: That's one common use of, of shoreline change data is to look at areas that have seen a lot of erosion in the past, and it's likely to continue. Projecting it into the future is a, is a complicated story because geologically we haven't seen rates of sea level rise this fast for thousands of years. So we don't have a lot of great modern analogs for any acceleration in the rate of shoreline change in the future. So predictions are are pretty dicey on that. I think the predictions you can make is when you get a significant storm, again, you scale it something like 1938 or, or Hurricane Carol in 1954, you can look at those storms and anticipate the types of shoreline change, the types of impacts you'll see along a coastline. But obviously the storms don't follow a schedule that we can uh, we can predict when that'll happen.
2: Brian Oakley, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks ever so much. And obviously it's invaluable research uh, for everybody concerned and uh, something that's obviously going to have to continue as well for our long-term
0: futures. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Brian.
1: Winter is coming. So think about preparing your plants and trees for the season. Green Valley Tree LLC can help prepare your trees to withstand heavy snow, ice, and wind with cabling, trimming, and removal. We also do pruning. In fact, we do it all. Call Green Valley Tree LLC today on 860-234-4041 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com.
2: Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. The Connecticut Department of Public Health is advising residents in southeastern Connecticut to protect themselves and their children from mosquitoes to reduce the chance of contracting eastern equine encephalitis, or triple E, after mosquitoes trapped in the Patchogue State Forest in Voluntown on September 23 tested positive for the virus. The results represent the first triple E-positive mosquitoes identified in the state by the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station this year. The risk of mosquito-transmitted diseases like the triple E virus usually increases through the late summer and early fall. Mosquitoes are active until the first heavy frost. No human vaccine against triple E virus infection or specific antiviral treatment for clinical triple E virus infection is available. Connecticut is rolling out expanded internet across the state to help those affected by the ongoing impact of the coronavirus that has forced remote learning or working. Dan Paquette is the director of the Willimantic Public Library and says they have increased many of their internet services to help the local community. To created an exterior hotspot cafe, it really expanded the internet access to the downtown area We've also provided 11 hotspots with the funding from the Community Foundation of Eastern Connecticut. These are hotspots that people can check out and take the internet anywhere they have to go. So whether they're at home, going to work, or just moving about, they have the ability to bring the internet with them. Lieutenant Governor Susan Bysiewicz said based on census data, the state still has quite a way to go to bridge the digital divide that disproportionately affects communities of color.
0: 20% of white households in our state do not have broadband internet at home. 35% of Hispanic families lack internet in their home, and 34% African-American households lack internet in their home.
2: Since the COVID-19 pandemic forced many places like schools to shut down, the state has spent around $43 million purchasing laptops and providing access to broadband internet services to children and students alone to allow them to continue their education remotely. In the day this week, in New London, the city has unveiled a Black Heritage Trail, a series of 15 plaques situated across the city that explain important historic sites. A 4pm ceremony was held at 42 Rogers Street to honour Spencer Lancaster, who was the first African-American selectman in New London. Lancaster, now 93, said he's pleased with the way the trail turned out and thankful for recognition for his part in opening doors for local black men and women